Welcome to Jack and Round with Jack Ingram. Coming up in two minutes is episode 27 featuring two-time Grammy award-winning singer-songwriter and producer, King of Americana, Jim Lauderdale. Jim has recorded over 30 records, including collaborations with Dr. Ralph Stanley and Buddy Moon. The songs have been recorded by dozens of artists, including the likes of George Strait, Gary Allen, George Jones, Vince Gill, and the Dixie Chicks. Jack has also recorded several songs he co-wrote with Jim, provided in the description are bios, social media, and website links, including a link to access jackandroundshow.com. Before we begin, here's a one-minute preview of today's episode, followed by a quick word from Jack on behalf of our sponsor, Lone Star Drive. You know, one day you're knocking on the door trying to get a bluegrass deal. The next day you're knocking on the door trying to get a country deal. The next day I'm knocking on the door trying to get an opera. No, I'm kidding. Bro. But you could. No, no, I can't <laughs> no, sing opera. No, 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 come, no, on. come on. Hello. I can't do that. <laughs> and then we wrote three songs that night. Yeah. I would. And work this out. And we'll get back to Loveville. Let's get back to Loveville. Yeah, yeah I got to cut that song. Got to call and said, hey, yesterday, Tony Brown cut two songs on George Strait for this movie. Did you write Where the Sidewalk Ends and King of Broken Hearts by yourself? I wrote King of Broken Hearts by myself. It's not like you didn't find your wheelhouse that you helped build, you know, the Americana world and and this genre that you kind of helped create. (laughs) (laughs) Go on. And I would joke, someday Americana is going to have like a big festival because I had no idea that there would really take off. Jacket Around Show is presented by Lone Star Dry Goods, curated collection of handcrafted quality goods, the truly unique Americana vibe. Visit Lone Star Dry Goods in person right here at the World Headquarters in historic downtown Abilene, Texas, just west of Fort Worth in Willow Park. We're online at LoneStarDryGoods.com. Jack, is that one of those anniversary model Gretches? Got it at, at Rockville in Dallas. So how many did you lose? A couple. Yeah, that and an ES-335 I'd gotten in college, the 1964 335. I've got guitars spread out between here and Nashville. Three or four different times I've left a guitar in Nashville at a friend's house to have a guitar when I'm there. Yeah. And then they move and... Yeah. Hadn't talked to him in a couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> like one day I'll just go on a scavenger hunt. Right. For town. Or if you ever loan one to some, it's like, hey, you know what? You like that one? You need a guitar. You take it for a while. And then later it's like, I can't remember who I loaned that to. Right. But I've gotten guitars in the same. Like I've gotten that one. That's Jerry Jeff Walker's guitar. Mm. I, uh, damn. He had me come play. He does a, he used to do a festival, like a, a trip to Belize uh-huh. for his fans kind of deal. And I was 25, 26, and he invited me to come be his guest. And I mean, that was a big deal. Sure. Would have been today, too. Yeah. But, uh, it was a rook, made a rookie mistake and didn't undo the strings, didn't loosen the strings on the flight, and it was not a pressurized playing, I guess. And I opened my guitar to play the first gig, and the headstock had snapped. Yeah. And he said, here, keep it until you don't need it anymore. That was 20-some years ago. I was like, if he's going to get this back, he's going right. to have to come get it. <laughs> That's great. Is that a Martin? It's, a, it's when Takamini used to... It's before they got sued by Mark. Okay, it, yeah, because it looks just they, like they do everything like like. And those are good guitars. It's it's been great. That's Brazilian rosewood too. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's been a sweet guitar. I've, I've put it through the ringer. I've had to re glue the 
bridge and do some things to it. But I played that on my last two records. Uh-huh. Just one of those, just got that thing for me because it's Jerry Jeff. The you know? neck is so nice too. And this, the action's really low and it never buzzes. I mean, I'm such a conspiracy theorist that I make Alex Jones look like <laughs> look like John Stewart. Yeah, I mean, man. I'm so far. You're just a, you're just a, you're Antifa. <laughs> <laughs> you're close to QAnon. Right. Yeah. I mean, QAnon is too. They're, they're, too, they're too soft. Yeah. Well, you know, bluegrass, when it comes down to it, it's pretty right wing. You know, it, it's funny. It is. It's either, it's kind of split. It's either right wing, kind of centrist, or like totally like the New York City. Well, they made that 60s declaration guys. kind of in the, in the 70s and 80s when like new grass and all that. Brought Sam and all those yeah. dudes brought the left wing, yeah. Into I mean, bluegrass was pretty, pretty conservative. Yeah, I mean, and they, and they you know, I, I'm not sure if it has anything to do with the death murder love ballads or not. No, no. <laughs> you came up in that world, yeah. But were you on the hippie side of it the whole time? Kind of half, and I had, I had one foot. And the mushroom patch, one foot, and the uh, sawed-off shotgun. (laughs) (laughs) One foot in the rope. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, one foot in the CBD thing. Okay, now now are we on? (laughs) Or wait. Okay, now. Yeah, because I have to keep. and go. So how have you been, Jim? James, Andrew? Sure. Is that what it was? No, it's Russell. James Russell. That's yeah. What, yeah. Um, Good. I did my. I've been. I've been to Lauderdale School the last couple of days. It's hard to keep up. Well, I bet it's been hard to stay awake. Well, it's. it's it, no, it, it's actually not. It's more like I got to revisit my ADD side. I mean, you. I. You do that daily. You're musically. Attention deficit, hyperactive. I wouldn't call it a disorder. Okay. It's just, it's like, it's like I'm following a butterfly. Hey, I like that. (laughs) I mean, honestly, I went to sleep. So, I mean, I've known you for, we met in 1995, 96. I was talking to my buddy, Matt, Mr. Tell over here. And he's like, when did y'all meet? First of all, he goes, it's going to be about three o'clock. And I said, okay, I'll be ready by five. (laughs) And he, and the only reason I know that is because uh, he goes, how do you know? I go, because I took all of my time lessons from him. Uh, So, but we met, I came to your house. Yes, actually that was, and then we wrote three songs that night. Yeah. And you, that was when you had first moved over there but. That neighborhood where uh-huh. train yes, R- right. Sunset Place. Yeah. Yeah. And I found you. I, f- I found you in the park. I showed up at whatever time we were supposed to be. I, mean, I was probably late, too. And I guess cell phones were out. Some, somehow I had a Or maybe I went to a store and called you or something, and you had you were doing Tai Chi in the park. There was a park close by. Yeah. yeah. And then you and came then we over, went over. And uh, I remember there was no furniture. Mm-hmm. 
you had a TV tray and a couch and a chair and another TV tray. And we sat there and wrote songs all yeah. night. And we got three good ones. Yeah. I think that night we wrote. And um, we'll get back to love. Let's get back to love. Yeah. Yeah. Man. I got to cut that song sometime. I have a demo yeah. of it somewhere. Yeah. I did it with the band I had at that time. Nice. Scott Esbeck and Mike McAdam. And uh, Pete was playing drums, my guy Pete. So, yeah, man, that's right. We wrote that song. That I don't know why I've never put that on one of my records. I need to cut that. I do, too. Let's both, let's make a pact. Okay. That's, I've always wondered if the T is silent. It's not. <laughs> it's not. No. Not the silent, not, not that time. No, it's not. That's right. It's not. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> that is. So, man, I've known you this long, but I've, I was 27 years just about, right? Yeah. Is that well, right? Is my math right? Yeah, if it was 97. Yeah, so 90, well, it had been 25, 25. years. Yeah, that's right. Because I was making that, I was making, I was getting ready to, I was writing for Hey You. Uh-huh. And, uh, God, that was, that's a long time ago. That is, isn't it? A quarter of a century. That's that's right, right at the beginning for me. Yeah, not for you. You're a little. Oh. <laughs> so you came from North Carolina. Yes, North Carolina, South Carolina, North Carolina, Nashville for five months, New York. Right. Uh, some time in Texas and Atlanta. Did you spend some time in Austin? You know, I wanted to move here, and I was living in Dallas for a while. I was doing a play. I was playing banjo and guitar in this play called Cotton Patch Gospel. And I guess we did it off-Broadway in New York. I was up in New York doing country and bluegrass music, and that's where I met Buddy Miller. There was this big— What was the club— the Lone Star and uh, Sundown Rodeo. Was was that when the Cattlemen's was there? City Limits. I'm not sure. Uh, that might have been after I I, I kind of started going about 82, mm -hmm. started traveling. I got in this play, Cotton Patch Gospel. Harry Chapin wrote the music to it. And it was this bluegrass show. And there was one actor, this guy, Tom Key, that played all the characters. And uh, um, and anyway, so I came to Dallas, and I wanted to move to Austin. And out here in Bee Cave, my friend Steve Satterwhite, who had a studio in New York, I'd spend every dime I had doing demos, and his sister lived in Bee Cave. And so he said go stay with her. She's a realtor. She'll help you. You know, you can find a place, but it was this catch 22. I couldn't get an apartment because I didn't have any credit mm -hmm. at all. And I couldn't get any gigs because I didn't have a band and I didn't have a band cause I couldn't get any gigs. Right. So, but I, I really wanted to come move here. I came here a whole lot. <clears throat> I had met, Kim Wilson of the Fabulous Thunderbirds. I was doing this gig. Oh, well, I, when I was living here, 
what year uh, is this? living 80? in Dallas, about 83, 82. Um, I would go see the fabulous Thunderbirds a lot. And Kim came out to the show. I did, I got hired for this thrown together bluegrass gig opening up for Levon Helm and Rick Danko and Bob Dylan was there, showed up. And this was the Lone Star. Great, real cool country. Mm -hmm. Well, all, all sorts of music. And so Kim was there and he said, Hey, I'd like to produce you. So I thought, finally. That was in New York? Yeah, that was in New York. And I thought, finally, that's going to start happening. And, um, but it, we, unfortunately, we never got to do it. But I love Kim and the fabulous Thunderbirds. Right. But uh, anyhow, um, to make a long story interminable, um, <laughs> I wanted to move to Austin so bad and it just didn't work out. And I went back to New York for a little while and then ended up in Los Angeles. And there was this, a really cool scene going on out there. People, uh, Rosie Flores, Chris Gaffney, mm -hmm. Dave Alvin. And I, I started working with Dwight Yoakam's producer, Pete Anderson. So things started. I had a manager, John Chamboti, right. who was hooked in with uh, Nick Lowe and Elvis Costello, two of my favorite guys. And At the time and, that all that's happened? Yes. And so rolling. Los Angeles, things just caught, you know, great clubs to play in. It was easy to get uh, gigs and, and great musicians. And, um, yeah, Rosie, Dale Watson, and Buddy Miller ended up moving down there. He to L.A.? Had, yeah. He, he had quit music for a while and then ended up in San Francisco, he and Julie, and he started playing. He was playing drums and was playing a little bit of guitar. And so Pete had taken a hiatus from Dwight, and um, he was playing with me and helping me try to get a record deal. And then um, he was going to go back out with Dwight, but he moved down right at that time. And so it was just great. Donald Lindley, who also moved later to Austin, uh, I got to work with him a lot. Sadly, he passed away a few years ago, but such a great drummer. Right. Um, but there was a cool scene, you know, now since Rosie's moved back to or moved to Austin, Dale. Yep lives in Texas. Chris Gaffney sadly passed away. Um, but there were a lot of great, great folks out there. Um, yeah, between New York, Nashville, L.A., and Texas. Yeah. Were you going to try and be an actor? No. You know what? It's, it's funny. I, I studied it in college and uh, really liked it a lot. But music was really the driving force. You know, I just didn't have that. That every Fire day, that every me. day, wake up and have to do it. Yeah, I just didn't. Isn't that funny? But how, music was yeah. always there. You know, that was what I wanted to do. That's kind of how you know. <clears throat> I mean, it could because it's a lone music and acting is yeah. is lonely as yeah. far as really getting it rolling and getting something to just just a yeah foothold, just something to grab onto. Yeah, and so if you don't have that every day, gotta go do it. That's right. It kind of makes a choice for you. And when I was doing some shows playing music, it was it was a great day job and it was great um, experience, you know, being in front of an audience. But 
I felt funny about it because it wasn't my music, you know. And um, what were you playing? Um, guitar and mm -hmm. excuse me, rhythm guitar and banjo. Um, one one show that I did that I thought was going to maybe be a catapult to things was this one called Diamond Studs, and I played Jesse James. And Sean Colvin played my wife. Uh, she had come up to New York to sing with Buddy. Yeah. Julie left, and and Sean came up. He knew her from Austin, and um, and this group called the Red Clay Ramblers, this old timey, you know, pre bluegrass style type band was, and uh, in the show too. And I had seen it when I was in high school in Chapel Hill. North Carolina, that's where that show started. And it was like, gosh, I'd love to play banjo in this show someday. So then finally, when it worked out that I got that part, I thought, okay, this is it. Record deal. Here I come. And, uh, but it didn't work out like that. And, you know, during my time in my 20s, and I guess I was 32 or 33 when I finally got a record deal it, in those days getting a record deal was like the ultimate goal yeah it was it and then you you thought i thought once i get a record deal then i'll be you know i'll finally touring. wake up happy yeah that's right <laughs> and um but uh but you know how many times I was wondering this the other day. How many times were you, did you go through that process of, okay, now, now it's going to happen? Probably about five or six times. How many record deals did you go through? Um, that, I that were I had three major label yeah. record deals. Four, actually. Yeah, four major label record deals. And they didn't yield the radio hits for me um but it was great to do them you know i, know I mean probably it was disappointing of course but at the same time something good came out of all of them yeah like you know all the things that happen when you when you're a guy when you're a guy with your kind of talent <laughs> go on <laughs> but you know i mean i knew your name when i went to town i mean it was one of those kinds of things where the next big thing was oh yeah that's great but did you hear lauderdale's version of that song or whatever <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite bits you have is the, uh, is the is starting to introduce the band from the first song on. That's a that's a good bit. Well, you know, I I guess I still do that one. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I pull that. Bit is that out. an every night deal? No, not a, not every <laughs> not every night. But <laughs> sometimes they play well. Yeah. Um. But you know it's funny. I I do kind of joke occasionally on stage, but I've got I'm learning to be careful because sometimes when you say things, thinking that oh well they get this, oh, they yeah. get this is a joke, and then later they don't. Um, 
like I, I was doing a, a bit a few times where I was, I said, you know, um, something happened to me, but it was a good lesson to me and not being bitter or angry. But in this long story about how I was at this audition to present some songs for a jingle and it was a big, huge money and this guy wanted me to play my thing for him. So I did. And, and he said that was really good, but it looked like he was like wearing a wig and like a fake mustache or something. Then I said, you know, I think I, I better go to the bathroom before they call me in. And he said, here, I'll show you where it is. And he took me down these, this windy hallway. And, and then he said, it's in here. And then I opened the door and he pushed me in. I, I heard it lock and I was banging on the door, but nobody could hear me. And, and then, uh, the guy let me out the next day, the janitor, I was in the janitor's closet. <clears throat> and then later I heard my song on television. I've heard it some, and it's, and, but my version was one, eight, one, eight, seven, seven stars are hid S T A R S are hid one, eight, seven, seven stars are hid locate your star today. And then now you hear it daily, you know, the one, eight, seven, seven cars for kids <laughs> And so, and so I got this saying like, but then this lawyer said, no, don't try to sue the guy. It'll, it'll make you look bad, you know, cause this is a charity thing. And then I started thinking about it and I thought, you know what? People are going to think I'm serious, you know, that's, that's rough terrain. Drop yeah. There, Joe. I, I did a, a bit one time where I was talking about because I, I Buddy Miller and I have a the, the show that you've done the uh, Buddy and Jim Buddy show. Buddy and Jim show, that's right. And uh, on Sirius XM, and uh, so I was talking about on stage one time about that Buddy and I, you know, things are tough in the music business, so we've developed these energy bars, and it's got you know like chia seeds and you know turmeric and all this kind of stuff <laughs> i said so we're looking for salespeople, you know and and so then after the show there was this couple and they're waiting and they said hey we want to sign up you know we want to I, I said what and they said we want to you know help you sell these and i said oh listen i was that was i was kidding <laughs> about that you know but then they they st still looked like no, no, you weren't kidding. We really want to, <laughs> really want to do this. So anyway, that's a lesson to all of you. Well, it's funny you say that because that has been the case since I've known you. Like you're never really quite sure. Well, let's let me nip that in the bud now. For the rest of the uh, talk here, let's. I'll be serious. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Kid, I'm not going to kid around. So I'll tell this story to you because he always says that he didn't do it. I had heard. So I, I think it was the night we wrote three songs. For the first 45 minutes, you were on the phone. And I, and, I, and I wasn't sure if we were writing a song together. <laughs> what Was I really? You were really. I really was. Like or was I pretending? You had a girlfriend. I think I know who the girl was. 
that that I don't will I won't say it now, but it was one of those days where you, you maybe had over like had double booked yourself like on a date and and to hang out and write songs with me, and so the whole time your phone kept ringing. You'd be like. And we'd be kind of in that moment where you're throwing out lines. And you're not sure if it's good or not. You're not sure really what the song is about yet. And you kept going, hold on. And then you'd, you'd be on the phone and then you go, and, and. <laughs> <laughs> and then you'd get back on the phone. You go, hold on. The, the stars or whatever it was. And, I, and we trudged through. And I, and I kept thinking, is he fucking with me or not? But the song was getting good. Yeah. So I was like, whatever's happening, this is happening. Okay, so fast forward about 10 years later. And I was talking to, I was on this tour called, uh, it was like an outlaw country kind of thing. And there was a, a young songwriter there who was, oh, I love Jim. Has he ever done the phone thing to you? And I said, wait a minute. And she went on to describe the same scenario. So I did, don't remember. Is that a that bit? Part. <laughs> I, I guess it was. It's a good bit. Let's pause for a second and you can e either keep that part in, but see the sad thing and edit this out was what I thought my record. I can't remember that. Like I might've been kidding during that part, but I was supposed to have dinner with, with somebody. No, it wasn't. It was no after Trey. No, yeah, it was after Trey. Yeah, I remember was, that part. But, but it was somebody else, and I I had been on this radio promo tour, <laughs> which was terrible. Yeah. It was like my song wasn't getting play. It was uh, like yeah. already dead while I was out having to get up at five, and it was really depressing. So yeah. I came back, and this lady said, "I'm going to make a nice dinner for you Friday." I said, "Okay." Now listen, I've got a writing appointment earlier. I bet it's you know going to last a couple of hours. I was probably running late, whatever. And you came and I never called her <laughs> until we finished. And I mean, we were writing three songs right. and finally it was like 1030 and you know, we'd written three songs and I said, listen, I'd better go. And I called and, and, oh, she was so mad. And actually that, ended so i ended no you didn't it was me i i, sh I should have <laughs> been considerate enough to her to say i'm so sorry but this is gonna keep running for a while you go ahead and eat yeah i'll be there but i'm we're really cooking the thing here. for me was <clears throat> so anyway okay i'll go ahead if <laughs> now yeah hi <laughs> well we're back jack hi. if those are the kinds of songs that we write on the phone, I, I would have done it all night. You know? I mean, hell. Well, listen, we do, in all seriousness, need to get together to write. We it haven't out. done it since. We wrote. I mean, that was 25 years uh, well, ago. Well, we did right? it. One other time we wrote uh, a song that was on a, on a record of mine called Electric. And it was uh, Everything I Ever Wanted Was One Lie Away. And right. be so close now to know there's nothing. Oh, we wrote that one that night. Oh, we did? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So maybe we got four. Maybe we got four in one night. 
I'd take four songs over a, a failing relationship any day. And <laughs> and we're back. Hey, <laughs> welcome back, back to the program. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you play in high school? And like, were you a were you a young kid, phenom yes. kind of bluegrass not, kid? Not phenom, but, but were you uh, a bluegrass kid going yes. to, going to all the things? The yeah, as many festivals. as I could. I'd, I'd started playing banjo when I was living in South Carolina, but in one of those summers. And then my last two years of high school went up to Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and I was just full on like banjo, like as, as much as I could going to festivals as much as I could and really wanted to be a banjo player and right. be a um, – and I didn't start writing till towards the really about the end of my senior year in high school and nothing were you a, firm, were you but into reading and journaling or no not you journaling so much i mean I, I was reading but just kind of melodies were kind of my thing still are S still Those are amazing well <laughs> You're terrible with compliments. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. I, but, um, but honestly, but, I mean, you. Sometimes when I'm listening to your songs and those opening line melodies just go, I go, oh, God, fuck, they're just great. Thank you. And you, so you've always been into that. Yeah, that just kind of has been the natural thing, and I think country singing wise like bluegrass singing wise it was kind of ralph stanley influenced me a whole lot and um and then country wise george jones was kind of my main man in a lot of ways but there's something about the tone of my voice it was like kind of a little more buck owens ish mm -hmm. and i really loved buck as well but you know, loved all but those, of those melodies that you that that your songs, the ones people know. Like when you nail a song, it it is a. It's funny you say that because the George Jones influence is obvious with those climbing, you know, the roller coaster melodies. But you're right; your voice is not like George Jones. Right. It's you know, it's, no. it's it's straighter. Yeah, the roller coaster thing. It's kind of like my career. <laughs> you know the the melodies the roller coaster melodies is very <sighs> without the ups <laughs> but um yeah you know lyrics are the thing that i toil over really a lot yeah do they come quick i no, guess not no you know, sometimes I'll have a title sometimes if I'm lucky. So when I was listening to, I mean, yeah, the last couple of days, knowing you were coming and being friends with you for so long and a fan, but I realized that at some point you, you, you kind of lose touch with the consistency of the, all the records you've been putting out. And, I, and so I just put it on play on Spotify and just let it roll. And it's amazing. It's funny you say that about lyrics, because I wonder if you came into this backwards of what I'm what of what I notice about your song structure. Not that I'm a s I'm not like a literary structure guy, 
but you take the f- the form of of what country music, the traditional four four lines in a cor- in a in a verse, yeah. into the chorus, and you turn that on its head a whole lot, like. <laughs> and I guess it's because you, because you, because you have a hard time with lyrics. No, no, that's just kind of the way melodies come out. Because you know a lot of I mean? times and it's then, a stunted verse, and <clears throat> and then a one line chord. It's like it's no, it's I, like you're in there kind of doing that. Well, that's the old martial arts <laughs> part of me that makes me do that. But um, I've been so lucky to get to co-write with folks. You know, we wrote, I, I wrote a lot with Robert Hunter that he and Jerry Garcia wrote, you know, a lot of those, most of those Grateful Dead classics. And he was an amazing lyricist. And uh, um, Harlan Howard got to write some with him and Melba Montgomery. And- well, that's kind of what I mean, though, because Harlan is much more of a traditional f- right. form of it. Yeah. And where, where your melodies jump over creeks, they jump over to this other part of the song and all of a sudden it all makes sense. But as it's, as you're riding along with the song, you're like, where the fuck is he going? And then you land, it's like, Oh, that's a good trick. <laughs> like it's really cool. But Harlan wouldn't have taught you that. No, he, uh, but he, we would sit around and talk, and then I'd either uh, say, hey, this melody's coming to me. I'm going to put it down on my tape player so I don't forget it. And then he'd go, oh, okay. And then he'd, he'd go, you know, play that, you know, play it on your guitar or whatever. And then he'd write a lyric. And so, and Robert Hunter would do that too. I'd go... Hey, here's this melody's coming out right now, and um, and then sometimes Harlan would have a lyric, or Robert Hunter would, and Clay Blaker. We wrote a few songs like that. He said, "Here's a lyric." Frank Dykus. We wrote a lot together, and he would hand me a lyric or call me and and say, "I've got a smash." And I'd say, well, what is it? And he'd he'd start reading it. And if things, if the stars were aligned, you'd hear, I'd it. hear a melody right then and go, hold on, and then sing it in the tape player. And I go, okay, well, what's your chorus? And that that happened a few times with Frank. But he, one time we uh, were writing, and this melody came to me. And then we went down to his kitchen, and I. I said, do you like that melody? He said, yeah. And I said, what should we call it? And he said, I'm going to get a laugh. I said, what? Why? I'm going to get it. He said, I'm going to get a laugh. And so I said, great. And so we wrote it and I demoed it and um, didn't think, you know, it's it's funny with, with songs other people do. And I didn't know if anybody ever cut it, but Mark Chestnut cut it and, um, so you you never know, right. you know. I bet that happens to you. Sometimes you write a song and you think, you know, it's okay. And then it's all, all right. of a sudden, and then but it, it but it people can for some reason, no pun intended, but it touches a chord, right? You know, is that when you were working with, with at Blue Water? Yeah, yeah, I was with Blue Water. Did Frank sign you? 
uh, Brownlee Ferguson, who's the owner. Um, my uh, somehow I think Jody Williams and Roger Sovine, who are with BMI, um, told me about Brownlee. Brownlee was a new, he, he was based out of Houston, right? but he opened a Nashville office and was just starting out a publishing company. And, um, uh, so I signed, uh, my, my manager, John Chambody said, because some people at that time, and I, I had just recorded this record for Epic that Pete Anderson did, but it didn't come. It ended up not coming out. Did it ever come out? Uh, somebody in Europe or Eng or Scotland or somewhere licensed it later and put it out for like three years. Did as some of import. those songs end up on the. What, what was the first yeah. record that got got, got released? Uh, Planet of Love. Planet of Love. And I had done a bluegrass record when I lived in Nashville when I was twenty two with Roland White. Um, I just listened to that today, and he sadly passed away a few months ago. Yeah. And we couldn't get a deal on that record, and or at least I couldn't. I, I sent tapes around, and the companies just said, what year was that? Eighty uh, seventy nine. So were you going to traditional bluegrass places trying to get a deal? Yeah, yeah. and um, um, and then we lost the tapes, and then his wife. Let me wife ask you found, this, man: is the the roller coaster part of your in the four record deals? Is it, I don't know how much time you've thought about it. I mean, you've only had 35, 40 years to, to mull it over. <laughs> it's nothing and music biz time. <laughs> That's right. But do you think that, and I'm not joking, but the versatility of, of your interests that, you know, one day you're knocking on a door trying to get a bluegrass deal. The next day you're knocking on a door trying to get a country deal. The next day you're knocking on a door get, getting a, just a writing deal. Next day I'm knocking on a door trying to get an opera <laughs> deal. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> no, I'm kidding about that. But you could. No, I'm not. No, no I can't <laughs> no, sing opera. No, come, now, on. come on. Hello. I can't do that. <laughs> It's interesting because because I know that whenever I've been on major labels, it it feels it feels like you have to put the brake on creativity at some. Level. You know, it's it's interesting about that because this record that did come out finally, the one that I wrote most of it with John Leventhal and he and Rodney Crowell produced it. I thought to I think with every record I was making. I thought, this is the one. This is it. But that record <clears throat> was just, it didn't, like the rest of my major label records, didn't catch on at radio. And I think to some extent after that, whenever I'd have a Nashville uh, major label record, I would think, I mean, there was, there was part of me, I think that, you know, we all grew up listening to radio. So you think you kind of get into your head too, as a songwriter, it's like, I want, Hey, I, I want to write those hit songs. You know, I want these things to be on the radio. The, the thing that nobody knows is, but what are those and how does it happen? You know what I mean? Is it all 
like sometimes our hits, these backdoor, you know, deals going on or something where right, it's like, hey, that. now if you play this one, you know, get in the radio, we don't know, you know, or is a song. I actually, a guy told me a while back trying to explain things. It's like, now see, we have these, um, Oh shoot! What was he calling? Not marketing meetings, but um, these these deals focus were groups or something. Focus groups where you'd get a group of five people over a period of a year. You'd give them like a case of soft drinks or something to take home with them for volunteering to come in and rate a song between one lowest I five highest, and the songs that would come in in the middle. They were the ones yeah. that they'd pick. They don't want agitation. Right. They don't want the things that, so. They don't want you to love it. Yeah. Because in the next song, you'll miss loving it. Yeah. They don't want you to hate it because you'll, yeah. It's, yeah. That, when I found that out, I, I, in my mind, I go, oh, because I, I, I only love ones or fives. Right. So do you. Yeah. And there's a thing, man, like being polarizing, like your voice, just like your songs. Okay, so the, I guess from my mind to to put, put the puzzle together is like your song. Like I was telling you, they kind of throw your your lyrics and your structure kind of throws curveballs that can be jarring. Well, but when George Strait sings it, nothing's jarring. Right. Well, <laughs> he's got that magic, you know. And how did that how did that all come about? Um, this record, Planet of Love, I did with John Leventhal and Rodney Crowell. Oh, and by the way, now see, it's all in the book. Um, you know, in my book, I mentioned this uh, about, no, I love that on TV when they're, you know, <laughs> yeah, interviewing something, they say, I explained that in the book. No, that, that's a good question. <laughs> and and in the new book, as gone, but it's, is so, there a book? I, I don't have a book. I'll never do a book. <laughs> no, yeah, but, I'll uh, write it for you. But, um, but anyway. Uh, it's in the documentary. Yeah, it's in the documentary. But um, that record. There I, is a documentary. There, there is. Um, okay, go, but, sorry. uh, no, it's all right. But, but planet of love came out and, but it got delayed. It was like, everybody was gung ho about it. It got delayed for various reasons for almost a year. Was this in the mid eighties or, uh, when was it? 91 so or something like was that. having success with, he started to, yeah. With, with Sean, with Colvin. Sean. Yeah. Yeah. After right after and that, Rodney had, is coming and off that yeah, huge. Rodney had a yeah. So you're thinking, okay, I thought I got this team. <laughs> yes, and I just thought too musically that record. It is great. It it really, uh, you know, those guys just crushed it on there. Mm -hmm. But so and I you're was young and boy, that cover shot. I'm telling you, buddy. But uh, <laughs> but um, uh, I th I had high hopes for that record and then nothing nothing was happening with it and so it was pretty i was pretty bombed and then my publisher uh from blue water um getting back to blue water mm -hmm. i mean i'm so glad i signed a publishing deal with them and um got a call and said hey yesterday tony brown cut two songs on george Strait for this movie that george Strait's doing called pure country so it's like Great. And that opened up all the doors because I was kind of 
I was living in Los Angeles, still commuting to Nashville, and I was a little too left of center. For that was the comment they'd get on songs they'd try to pitch, but that um, gave me some acceptance. Did you write where the sidewalk ends and King of Broken Hearts? All by, by yourself? I, I wrote King of Broken Hearts by myself. And then Where the Sidewalk Ends was the first song John Leventhal and I wrote. And he was living in New York and I'd known him. Um, he was a great, like in this country scene in New York, he was just this awesome guitar player and um, that would play with various people. And um, so he called me one time and he said, hey, I'm going to be in Los Angeles. Maybe we could get together and write a song. So I said, sure. So he had that title. And so this melody, where the sidewalk ends and the road begins, came out. And then he said, we said goodbye on a cold, dark night. And then it kind of went back and forth like that. And then he sent me this cassette. You know, that was back in the days oh, before yeah. we could... And it was this great demo that he'd done in his home studio where he played everything. And it was just great, you know. And so then um, he said, let's do this some more. You know, we both said that. And so I was commuting back and forth to New York for a while, probably about a year. And um, we'd write. And uh, like one day we were writing, for instance, and... He, uh, he said, well, I got any ideas. So I said, well, I've got some stuff on this cassette. So the song, this, I said, I found a new planet that only I can see. And he said, wait, what's that? I said, I, I'm not sure about that. And then, but then we wrote this song called Planet of Love. And it, I, I really loved writing with John. I mean, he was just, he is just a brilliant guy and uh very literate to his lyrics are great his well, melodies that, are great is this where the sidewalk ends is that a reference to the book or was that never even no, part of the deal? no i didn't even know about the book at that time i found out and it wasn't even told for years later i found out about the book and he didn't know about the book either but think about this though just assuming that i thought that everybody knew that book maybe it's because of the time I grew up when that book was really popular, but it makes perfect sense that that would be something that would be a part of your orbit because of the, because of the subject matter and shells work yeah. too. It's like, yeah. talk about left of center. I mean, yeah, yeah. He's, it's funny that you thought it was kind of sideways them calling you left of center, but you kept you, the title of your son. Yeah. I found a new planet. Right. I mean, that's, yeah. to the left well you know and what john and i did um and i talk about this more in the book but um <laughs> <laughs> oh there's some great really poignant some stories really in the book. Stuff. but um that record planet of love is is very at that time for that time especially just kind of out there for a mainstream country album however you know, we all thought it's like, hey, this song, this song, this could be the first single, this could be the second single, et cetera. And it's like, well, gosh, we got, you know, five singles at least on here, but it just didn't translate. It's funny and, when you go back and listen to it, and it sounds like what country sounded like in a few years from then. So, <laughs> but, um, 
But that happened a few times. Then I got with RCA uh, for another deal and that same thing. I didn't, my songs didn't get, uh, I didn't have hits. That was around the time that we uh, were writing was when this record called Whisper yeah. came out. And, um, but George Strait ended up cutting. What do you say to that? And Joe Galante, who, who ran RCA, really dug that song. And he really, he, he tried, but it was just, you know. Well, it's just something, you know, I, I, and it, it, for a while that stuff did kind of bug me. I just thought, what, what's wrong with me? I was about to say, when did you, you know? let all, when did you begin to let all that go? Uh, what are you <laughs> what beginning? Time, what time is it now? <laughs> what but, but, uh, you know, I think since then I've kind of, just forgotten and somewhat, you know what I mean? It doesn't, you know, and those, those things in life sometime that really, you know, just get under your skin or make you question everything. And then after time, you know, it just well, goes it, by, but it's just part of being in the music biz, you know? Yeah. It's part of waking up every day and not part of not giving up is giving up. Right. You know, I mean, that's right. And yeah. it's not like you didn't find your wheelhouse that really that you helped build, you know, the Americana world and and this genre that you kind of helped create. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, now, I see I've I feel like people uh I, for some reason, they always pop into my head, but is um, Joe Ely, the guys in the Flatlanders, yeah. uh, Jimmy Dale Gilmore, Butch Hancock, and Guy Clark, for some reason, those guys, to me, when you think about Americana, it's like those guys, you know, and then when yeah. you think about Delbert McClinton more, it's like, man, he was doing... R and B and country, you know yeah, what I mean? And I think in a lot of ways that Americana thing is just kind of this, is, you know, kind of means eclectic. Yeah. And it's so, I'm so glad they have that because I was thinking at the time too, when they were first kind of getting things going with that back in about 94 or so, it gave a home. I remember. To, uh, you know what I mean? It, it was like. It's been strange. It's been great over the past 20, 25 years. Because when Planet of Love and and I had some records out at the time, too, they would go to the top of the Americana chart or close to it or whatever. But the music arrived before the audience was there. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. It'd be number one for four weeks or whatever. And you'd still only sell a couple copies. And it's like, where, here's the church. Where are the people? Right. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's funny. I and used, that's changed. Yeah. Drastically. And, and I would joke with my friend, Dusty Wakeman, who's a great bass player and friend and engineer. And um, I, we were talking about an Americana thing. And, uh, and I, 
was joking about it. And I said, oh, yeah, someday they're going to have like a festival and it'll be out in this field somewhere. And, you know, and this person, that person, oh, yeah, they're going to have America. It's going to have like a big festival, you know, and laughed, you know, because I had no idea that they w- would yeah. really take off. Well, that's that's part of what I'm talking about as far as, you know, being a part of it from the ground up and and you're right joe and the flatlanders and even steve it's at at a lot of levels and um but when it when it comes to you it's you can kind of tell the people that are that are in that helped create and are in the wheelhouse where they're supposed to be and maybe always were supposed to be is is that it's like it's as if you were never not there Mm -hmm. you know that kind of overreaching i mean transcendent is a little too big of a word when you're talking about a genre of music but you know it's like of course lauderdale joe delbert bonnie sean steve jim well that's not really a question and i don't expect you to know no no but it's funny i i talk about that kind of in more detail in the book um i bring (laughs) up like when that kind of you know, impacted me. I can't most. wait to read this book. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I wish that I'd already finished it. I'm plugging the future book. What's the book going to be called? Uh, I, and then I wrote, and then I wrote, no, I'm joking. You know, Willie had a record called and then I wrote, but, uh, Boy, and I love him, man. Isn't that so great? Willie is... Dude, never-ending. You know, it's just incredible. You know who I've really gotten into lately is Lucas. Yes. I remember seeing him maybe 15, 20 years ago on one of the one of the late-night shows. Uh-huh. And I remember my judge, my critical self, I was, you know... No, I knew everything then too. And I was like, that's really going to be good. It's, it's going to be hard though. Like in my mind, I was like, that's, he sounds a lot like his dad and that's going to be a, that's a pretty big shadow. And then I didn't hear anything from him for like five, seven, ten years. And then he came out with what he's doing now. I was like, he found he's it. Really, yeah. He found it. He found a way to, honor who he is and where he comes yeah. from and also reach reach further beyond his grasp yeah it's really yeah. cool yeah and that's in in the book where you <laughs> well i you know i talk about a few gigs we had together back kind of before he you know really took off yeah and you knew you know we uh actually did play uh, I went on, I had to follow him solo at this American with his band. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but they had to take off. I think Sucka. the deal was the, the, it was a real cool festival in Monterey, California. It was an a Monterey Americana festival. And, uh, right <laughs> next Lucas Nelson went electric. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was already like, but, uh, it was cool. It was right. And it wasn't in, 
the space where they had that Monterey Pop Festival, right. but it's still there. Right. And um, so, but they had to, there was something with their schedules, like they had to split like right after their gig. And then I went on and did my solo gig. And so. And introduced was, the band right away. Yeah. yeah. But um, so you have, so do you have a new record coming out? I do. Um, I do. Gosh, I, I'm, you know, I'm not. Let's talk about something that's actually finished. I, I'm not very good. <laughs> I'm not very good at promoting. <laughs> Jim, <laughs> but uh, I, I've got a record coming out August 26th and um, it's called Game Changer. And. Uh, and, and I'm not, I didn't call it that subliminally of like, so that all of a sudden it would manifest itself. Like, like that. super country hits. Yeah, that's right. You know, <laughs> I did do an, a record called super country hits, but I, and part of it was, I thought, Hey, it's just funny. You know, it's funny. Cause none of these songs have, you know, they're not, you know, <laughs> right. but I did think it's like, Hey, now, you know, these, maybe some artist is going to, their guitar player is going to play it for them and say, hey, boss, you got to hear this You're reading song. The we got to cut this. <laughs> and, uh, but finally, I guess five years ago, George Strait cut the song called Two More Wishes that I wrote with Odie Blackman, who I wrote most of that album with. And um, so, so finally, you know. That's a beautiful uh, song. But th thank you. But this one, um, uh, Game Changer, is a, a tune from the record. And uh, the guitar player on it, Craig Smith, who used to live here a long time ago in Austin. He used to play with Sonny Sweeney. Oh, yeah. And he's from Scotland originally. And he lives in Nashville now and uh, plays with Susie Boggess a fair amount, too. But he, I love that B Bender guitar. I just loved Clarence White's playing so much. And he does this solo on there that's just so cool, so tasteful. And I hadn't heard the B Bender used quite that way. Um, and uh, let's see about that record. Um, Lily May Rishi and her brother Frank Rishi do the harmonies on it. They're just great singers. Um, I, I produced it with my friend Jay Weaver, who's playing bass. We've done, um, let's see, From Another World and Time Flies and Hope together. And um, great, great folks. Chris Scruggs on there uh, playing a bunch of guitar, too. Um, Will Van Horn is on steel, um, a few different steel, but Russ Paul, um, and, uh, I'm, I'm a big pedal steel fan. And sometimes I hear pedal steel licks twinned with guitar licks and, um, uh, and so what the first song, the, the first single to, uh, that kind of life, that kind of day kind of came from this lick that came. I've to heard me. that about you. And uh, I've heard that about you. That's funny. And it's, a, it's really cool that you'll basically sing the parts. Yeah. In the sessions. A lot of times. A lot of times. Yeah. Sometimes I don't, I'm not hearing it, but sometimes they're, you know, 
Um, but uh, um, let's see. Um, oh, I got wrote wrote one with Mary Gaucher and Jamie Harris. That's a, a song called "We're All We've Got." About how you know in this kind of time especially and it it just hits all of us you know just it's man things are so heated out there i mean every day you know i I remember when we were thinking it's like oh gosh i can't wait for 2020 to be done (laughs) with this everything and then it's done and then it just keeps coming at us you know i remember when 2021 first started rolling and I read somewhere, probably on my phone, that isn't it funny? We thought a twenty-one-year-old would act better than a twenty-year-old. <laughs> just kind of like, man, it, yeah, it's just going to keep going. Yeah, you know, un- unfortunately, and I'm not trying to be a you know doom and gloom guy at all, you know, but I think that it's just gonna. We have to get used to this stuff all the time well you gotta learn how to adjust yeah as whatever side you're on yeah there's something coming at you and you have to learn to adjust and right make the moves that are effective right and the thing is i think there has to be a point where because it is like you and i for instance could be sitting here just having a great conversation talking about music maybe hearing something maybe one of us is playing or whatever and we're just like you know it's it's going great but then one of us might say some comment about you know something and the other person's like oh well you're one of them oh i see and then that ruins everything and then it just or and so that's that's kind of what the song now now i'm starting to talk about my record like it's a book but that's what this, this song addresses in there because re- really we do just have each other and so we why not get to that place where it's like all right you believe this i disagree with you but i don't i still love you right you know that's why it's so. it's nice to, to be in situations where you can't just storm out yeah, because you have to think about what you're gonna, how you're gonna reply without giving up your integrity. Right, exactly. Like, like me, for instance. Now I've got a gig tonight. You got to go. But I'm not gonna storm out <laughs> of here because you and I, <laughs> Good you work. and I, aren't <laughs> seeing eye to eye on everything. I'm not gonna just and I go. Have a date. I'm not gonna like take my <laughs> microphone off and go. This interview's <laughs> over. Bye, Jim. But, but um, now, and that wasn't a segue. Hey, listen, man. But really, we should do this again sometime because I, I would love to talk about. You know, we didn't get into how you car wheels. You're singing all over those oh. records. All the, all the, all the stuff. All the other. Well, let um. You got to roll. Uh, I'll I'll address that briefly though about car wheels. I met Lucinda Williams in uh, Los Angeles when I was talking about this great scene out there and um she was a big part of that and um and so we became friends and i started singing harmonies on her records and 
uh, sitting in with her if she had a gig, you know, and it was that kind of thing in L.A. too. It's like, hey, let's go see so-and-so tonight. You know, it was a real community. And um, uh, and then she did Car Wheels, and I got to sing on that. And then uh, tour, uh, she was very kind and, and had me in the band singing harmonies and opening up the shows for that tour. And I did that a lot on her next record, Essence, yeah. as well. And then after that, on this record, that record would come in and sing a song or oh, two. Fantastic. It's I, a great. I love Lucinda so much. I mean, she's. Yeah. I mean, it goes without saying. She's one of the one of the greats. And, you know, around that time when we were writing, um, I was I had a record pretty much all done and then i just thought this just she set the bar so high you know and i just thought i've got to come up with something else it, this isn't quite there it's interesting you know but she is she's that record just like, did make a i remember that we were touring when that record came and it was like it was the record of yeah. that of that year yeah it kind of made everybody go oh this is for real yeah <laughs> this can do a lot right and it sure did yeah yeah hey man thank you Jack, for coming thank you appreciate it. i love getting getting to catch up me too well let's do really look forward to reading the book well thank you well i'll tell you what you know <laughs> i know i was joking a lot about the book but really in this game changer record that's coming out august 26th that pretty much it's like I really don't have to write a book. I mean, this <laughs> this is like a musical book. Wow. Like yeah. Free to be you and me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks so much for having me. Thanks for coming out yeah. all the way. Your old home stomping ground, Bee yeah, Cave. Bee Cave. Yeah. No, Bee I would Cave. stay here. There you are. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. Help us spread the word by hitting that subscribe button. Leave us a comment and a five-star review. Visit jackandroundshow.com to access the most up-to-date show information, the upcoming release schedule, and links to the back catalog of episodes.